Welcome, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to the wasteland. This is podcast at ground zero, episode two. We made it to a second episode. Yay for for us! I am your host, Jared, the apocalypse nerd Wallace, uh, along with co-host Adam Scott Glancy, and special guest host today, Chris Van Dielen. I got that right, Van Dielen. You bet. Very yeah. few people get it right, so congratulations. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm ter I'm terrible, terrible with names. So. Okay, this episode we uh, we have Chris on uh, because uh, the main subject for the uh, is going to be uh, a book series or two book series put out by um, uh, Gold Eagle Publishing, uh, Deathlands and the Outlanders. Uh, before before we get into that, because Chris is a bit of an expert on that, and we'll get into that here in just a minute. Uh, just a couple of things uh, want to talk about here. Like, uh, going to kind of start the shows off uh, going forward with a kind of in the news feature, kind of maybe some things that are happening in the post-apocalyptic world that maybe little tidbits I've caught and just kind of wanted to share that information also. Talk about some of the things that, you know, maybe I got going on with the blog and things like that. So one of the things uh, I got going with the blog now is uh, I've been able to successfully extract the audio from the videos now. So uh, I'm going to be able to start, start posting just the audio. For, so for the people who don't have time to sit down and watch the video, for the for the people who you know don't want to look at our faces, frankly, and, and you know this is going to be perfect. Well, of course, but also you know when you're driving because you really shouldn't be you know hey let me watch this podcast while I'm driving I, yeah, crash podcasting while driving with no that's probably how the apocalypse is going to start exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm working on getting that in place, getting it the, the video and the audio, uh, get it on iTunes. So, you know, again, like I said last time, growing process. Uh, a couple of little tidbits I did uh, notice in the news uh, coming up. I'm sure everybody may may or may not already know this, but uh, in June there is going to be a release of the Mad Max trilogy on Blu-ray, June 4th, uh, put up by Warner Home Video. So it's going to have you know Mad Max. Mad Max 2 or The Road Warrior, and uh, Beyond Thunderdome. And we'll get into those movies another time. But Mr. we're going to be... Wallace, Mr. Yes. Wallace, can you confirm or deny whether or not it will be the uh, Australian dubbing or the uh, American dubbing of Mad Max? I do not have any more information on it. It was just got announced uh, this within this last week that it's coming out. No okay. further details. I know, because... Yes, because we're Americans, and no, we can't listen to Australian accents. We must. No, it's uh, incomprehensible. So we have to have some other voice on top of Mel Gibson. Uh, of yeah. course. Well, nowadays that might be preferable, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's not like they have to dub over him screaming about the Jews. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Although, that, well, that's that's the, the special special edition that's going to be coming out. When, when Mel Gibson says "outlaw biker trash," really, what he means is Jews. <laughs> Of course. And another bit that I came across, J.G. Um, Ballard, who wrote a novel called The Drowned World. I don't know if uh, you have, uh, anybody here has read that. Uh, it came out, oh, God, uh, that might have been in the 60s. That's something, again, we could talk about when we get more into other books. But that has been optioned uh, for there's talk. Uh, the director, I guess the producer for Harry Potter, uh, along with uh, Jeremy Clifford, they're looking to uh, put that uh, on celluloid. Uh, no further details on that yet, just that it's being being talked about. And of course, it's being done by the people that did Harry Potter, so I can only imagine what it's going to come out like. But, yeah, well, uh, are they shooting for PG-13, PG? It's still still in discussions, but, uh, but we'll see. So that's kind of... Uh, 
know, kind of interesting that, you know, because I, I just read that recently in the last couple of years, and I was like, oh, uh, The Drowned World uh, is, not, is a movie. So, uh, interesting. So, there you go. It's just a couple little bits of uh, stuff that's going on here. Uh, I'm sure you may notice I did change my background a little bit because uh, the radiation levels are getting too high on the surface, so I had to pull the uh, radio, the uh, studios down into the bunker. So, uh Actually, there were complaints about the monkey. Let's be honest here. The, the people were calling and commenting and saying the monkey was staring at them with its dead, dead, googly eyes. Well, so, it was. <laughs> so we have a backdrop to protect your delicate sensibilities from the monkey. Yes. So there you go. All right, so that's what's going on here. Now, we have brought Chris on because Chris is a bit of an expert on the Deathland series. That was the first book, uh, Pilgrimage to Hell, which was the first book in the series, uh, which came out in 1986. Uh, thank you, thank you, Chris. Amazingly enough, I actually have it sitting on my desk. Go figure. I, I as well. Uh, well, it's sitting on my bookshelf. And But here, Chris, do you still have the original insert? Never took it out of the book. I love this guy. That's that's why he's on the show. <laughs> so actually, I think I've got a, uh, several copies of this hanging around uh, in storage. Wanted to uh, make sure that they didn't disappear. And I figured maybe you know, in ten, twenty years down the road, I'd be able to get a few bucks for them because uh, there'd be people who'd want them. Other people call that hoarding, but uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever gets you through the day, you know. <laughs> well, you should have seen all the boxes of stuff I took away a couple of weeks ago. Was doing some cleanup in here, and God, I must have uh, recycled probably about six boxes of books. As much as I hated to do it, I just didn't have the room for them anymore. But then again, I get most of my reading done on audio now, so. There you go. Uh, looks like I lost uh, Scott here, so let's see if he could. Uh... Get back on here, but um... unfortunately, it might happen uh, here as well. It's not as bad as it used to be, but I'm um, still dropping out uh, a couple of times a night on the average. So, oh, okay. Just figured I'd give you a heads up. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. Well, let's uh, at least continue rolling. And if he needs to ping me, he will ping me to get uh, back in. He should hopefully have the link on there. Uh, you know what? Let's see here. All right. So uh, the Deathlands came out in 1986. Fall. Uh, fall originally under the title was it 86? I was still in high school yes I think me and you both were in high school alright let's well, you know um, what? why don't we just take a look here uh, copyright date yep 86 June 86 was the first edition okay I apologize folks here I'm trying to get Mr. Glancy back in here I'm sending him a, the link to join again so hopefully you'll see that on his uh, Facebook page so, yeah, it came out in uh, 1986, and I originally discovered, uh, uh, well, I won't tell you I discovered, but uh, again, I was saying the reason I had Chris on here is because uh, Chris had the first, probably on the, oh, there we go, Mr. Glancy. No, Mike, you're muted, can't hear you, can't hear you. All right. Maybe for the best, maybe it's swearing up a storm. <laughs> it could be. Go to the to the top and unmute yourself, Scott, if you could hear us. Or, no. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like he's like a talking monkey. Uh, go, go, 
go up top, uh, Scott. You see up top there? You might be able to unmute yourself. Yeah, or... Apparently, when you uh, apparently when you fall off the internet, uh, it automatically mutes you. Okay. All I'm right. Sure. So we we got we got Scott back. Thank Te God. Temporary communication disruption, uh, near miss by a Soviet SS-22, just hit down the block. Uh, it's all better now. Okay. So we got Scott back. So I was talking to uh, say, well, we had Chris Chris on here. Uh, as far as I know, Chris had the first and probably only uh, Deathlands fan site that I actually I didn't know this until I met Chris, uh, you know, about a month ago. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I had the fan site, and I and I thought back, and I'm like, oh yeah, I used to go to that website like ten, what, ten, fifteen years ago. I don't know. I'm not sure. When did you start that website, Chris? Oh God, that. Uh... You know what? I can't even remember. I think it was just after my son was born. He's 18 now, so it's been quite some time. Uh, and just to clarify one thing, yeah, I used to be kind of the guru when it comes to Deathlands, but uh, once they started going to the revolving door system for writers and they threw continuity out the door and everything like that, I just gave up on it. I think I stopped reading around book 44, and they're up at, I believe it's around 108 right now. So... Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I've read any of the books. Yeah, I stopped myself. Um, well, we could, uh, I stopped myself. I probably stopped in the like the '60s. But Chris had this website up that was very useful because it's a very good. It's a very good series that came out. Yeah. Um, it was originally produced uh, by it was a. Uh, James, uh, James Lawrence and Lawrence James actually. Lawrence uh, James. Rest his soul. He uh, passed away quite a few years ago. And uh, and another author who was well, actually well, who is it? It was a uh, was it Jack Ahern or is that was that the his uh, pen name? Oh, you're thinking of uh, Jerry Ahern who wrote the Survivalist series, and unfortunately he recently passed away from cancer as well. Oh. Uh, Jack Adrian was Jack the original Adrian. Author, Thank you. And he did. Basically, the if I remember the story correctly, he wrote approximately the first half of uh, Pilgrimage to Hell, and for some reason, which I never really did find out why, had to leave, and that's when Lawrence James, aka the first James Axler, showed up and uh, started writing the series, and he wrote the next thirty-three in the series. Have we explained that that James Axler was just a pen name employed by Golden Eagle? Yes. That there were. We just kept cycling authors through this pen name over and over and over again. Yeah, he originally, yeah, he did it through, uh, like you said, book thirty-three. But then he wrote one final book, forty-four, Crucible of Time. But then after that, it was all, you know, a couple of revolving door authors that it got uh, worse and worse. But let's 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 tell them what the book's about first before we start going on about how what we like and dislike about the the series. Shouldn't you be shouldn't you be holding up copies of the book, Mister Wallace? Uh, we did. Me, me, and Chris oh, held up copies of the book. Too much glare. Tilt, tilt it a little bit. Yeah, there you go. That's there better. You go, people. All right, Deathlands. That's better. All right, let me uh, let me pin myself so people could uh, see the book. There we go. Pilgrimage to Hell. So this is the first book. I first discovered it uh, in a mall, uh, senior year of high school, uh, summer of '86. Uh, again, I was fully into reading a lot of these post-apocalyptic books, and I saw that came across this, and it looked uh, looked interesting. So what it is is basically it's uh, was it January twentieth, two thousand one. There was a uh, the Washington D.C. was wiped out by uh, by a nuclear bomb, which caused the apocalypse. A sneak uh, attack by those dirty Reds. Uh, which sadly didn't last until 2001, but uh, exactly. what the heck, all right? In my, wor my world, it's still happening. 
But uh, <laughs> it, uh, you know, you then fought. You fair with the Soviet Union. I love him. I miss him so. And uh, after that was the Skydark, which was the, you know, the basically the nuclear winner. Uh, the books pick up 100 years later after the, after the event, the apocalypse. Now, mind you, people, um, I'm not going to be, I may, may or may not, I may not be, may or may not be that good at filtering. So there may be spoilers. So be aware now. There may be spoilers. I'll try not to spoil too much, but I want to give a general oh, idea. To, to hell with that. There's, there, there's just going to be spoilers, and they're just going to have to live with it. The butler did it. But uh, <laughs> Go out, read all 112 books, and then watch the podcast. Then watch the podcast. <laughs> so, and even uh, if you can find it, watch the god-awful Homeward Bound that was put out by Sci-Fi Channel oh, no, no, so, at least a let's, decade let's, ago. Let's you, wait. You mean this? To get to uh, that. that one, yes. 2000, 2003, there you go. Okay, With I was right a decade Tracy, ago. Yep, Tracy Lords. But we'll talk about that piece, this piece of crap later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, So uh, basically the book takes place, it's, there's a, it's basically a, a kind of a medieval feudal society. There's barons who control towns. There's a group of people, there's a guy called the Trader who uh, runs this whole organization. They, they go to these, uh, is it readouts? I always get that wrong. That's the way I was uh, taught to say it, so readouts. So they find these readouts, which are these uh, uh, government secret bunkers which held uh, supplies and weapons and ammo and technology. So they, the trader used to go around, find all this stuff, and they would trade people for it. He was, you know, he drove around the country in what were called war wags, and they had a crew of people. Now, in the first book, they wind up uh, establishing the characters, of course. You know, there's, um, you know, Ryan Cowder, you know, The Traitor, J.B. Dix, uh, several, you know, several different main characters. You know, one's like, you know, the second-in-command, J.B. Dix is the weapons master. So you find all these characters. You pick up, you know... mutant girlfriend. Uh, uh, Christy? Christy, yes. Christy, what was it? Uh, what's, uh, I can't remember Christy her last Roth. name. Roth. Thank yeah. you. Uh, what's the language uh, on this one? PG or not? Oh no! But feel free to curse like a sailor with Tourette's here at Ground okay, Zero. Okay, Christy Roth isn't his girlfriend. She's his fuck bunny. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say his beard. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she's on, nothing uh, to me. On. She was nothing more than a sex toy for him. Uh, basically, uh, word count filler for the books. I always found it uh, tedious and pointless. Then again, maybe I'm just getting old. Well, yeah, they did have a lot of uh, gratuitous sex scenes well, in, in and, the book. And let's let's be honest; these books were, you know, absolutely were sort of uh, throwbacks to the pulp age. And that, you know, you're going to get more descriptions about the firearms used than you are about the intimate details of people's relationships to each other. You know, that stuff's going to fly by. Okay, we're friends to the end, and then you know. Okay, that's all the description you get there. But you know, if uh, Ryan Cotter picks up a new blaster, expect at least a paragraph or two <laughs> on that new love affair. <laughs> well, just be thankful that uh, Lawrence James didn't go Jerry Ahern's uh, road. You know, every damn book in the Survivalist, he was describing his Detonics score masters oh, and all the other weapons. Detonics forty fives. Well, the Survivalist is basically gun porn, but we, we can, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll talk about it again. Don't uh, get me wrong. Actually, I really enjoyed that series, and I'll explain but, it at a later but, time. But the mantra, the mantra that would show up where every book would describe 
the twin Deutonics 45 hard ballers with the Pacmar grips. I mean, it was like it was like a mantra, you know, that opened every book. But let's move back to the to the. Yep. Sorry, I apologize. No, no, no. That's what we're here for. We're here the to talk. The is far more four color, and it's very pulpy. It's very well. You yeah, know, well it's Men's Adventure. It's put out by Gold Eagle, who's Men's Adventures books, who put out Mac Boland and other series. Yeah. You know, Phoenix Force, Man, Survival Two Thousand. Yeah, you name it. Yeah, yeah. No, thank thank you for bringing up Survival Two Thousand. That's uh, that's another book in the series. That and also Earthblood as well. But um, that's what I was trying to think of. I just couldn't remember the title. No, Earthblood and Survival Two Thousand. I've read all. I've read both of those mini series of three books. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but. But uh, yeah, hey, so, let's do know. a little product placement there. Uh, the uh, the Earthblood series is available through uh, what the hell? GraphicAudio.net, and uh, you know what? Uh, they're worth picking up if you enjoy audio. Uh, the Earthblood, yeah, they they were from what I remember, they were pretty good. It's it, it's been probably I probably haven't read them since they came out, so it's been a while. So the the back to the Deathlands, yeah, these Thank are you. very very four color, very pulpy, uh, you know, post apocalyptic adventures, um, and uh, I, I guess what sets them apart, you know, from others uh, was uh, the uh, I would have said was the the, the big sort of uh, key element of the stories. The MacGuffin was the um, the transmats. Yes, yeah, the Matrans units, which were, uh, when I was talking about the readouts, uh, they came across these uh, readouts uh, and it had this matter transmitter. It's like a teleportation device in there. And uh, the after that first book, you know, they also discovered Doc Tanner there. You know, all the main, all the main characters were, well, most of the main characters were established in the first book. We lost lost some. We picked up some more later, but the books were centered around the Mat the Matrans units, which. They didn't know how to operate, except they knew how to turn it on, and then eventually they learned how to, you know, make it. Uh, something that they had, they learned a couple of little tweaks, like how to return to the previous location. But basically, it was random where they got put down, and that's yeah. where the book would pick up. Like, hey, we're in South America. Hey, we're in Russia. Would be so where the book took place. Them anywhere in the post-apocalyptic world, and you didn't have to get into all that tedious humping it through the boonies and radiation and swamps full of Titanic mutants. You could just Bang! They're in Russia. Bang! They're in Japan, or you know wherever it was they ended up, um, and be dropped down into a story. Meet the locals, kill them, get back in the bat trench, go <laughs> someplace else. And of course, they did run to some uh, adversaries during the way. Now that was a, the good part when when uh, Lawrence James was writing them. There was some consistency with the stories. Like he had a you know his agenda, and he kind of followed his path and tried to keep continuity of the stories but after he stopped writing them which uh, which was uh chris had said uh 30 yeah, 33 uh, issue, book 33 or issue 33 whatever you want to call it uh eclipse, eclipse at noon he start. they started doing uh other writers like mark ellis mel odom uh and the, the problem what i noticed what it was nobody gave a crap about what the previous guy wrote so you know when somebody started Absolutely. a great idea Oh. Uh, I'll uh, give you a little bit of a uh, background on that. Uh, Mark Ellis, Mel Odom, and I can't remember who the uh, third guy was that uh, started writing. They actually did work together for several books, uh, talking to each other, ensuring that there was continuity, and so on and so forth. But uh, basically, eventually, Gold Eagle just nixed it and started doing the whole revolving door. And Well, I think it also happened when Mark started writing his Outlanders series. 
And yeah, then, uh, yeah, after that, they just threw continuity out the window and just said, basically, yeah, do what you want. Yeah, because it looks like, as I said, uh, Lawrence James wrote the, his last novel, uh, 44, Crucible of Time. So between, you noticed a little bit of difference between uh, uh, Eclipse at Noon and um, Crucible of Time. It, it got a little iffy, but it but it still kept along the same line. But after that, it just went off the rails because there were some good plot points that were established in these books, but nobody would be like, the last guy wrote, like, well, I don't care if this guy wrote about uh, that, the last book. I want to write what I want to write about. So yep. you'd get some cool stuff brought up and never visit it again. Yep. Well, like JB's uh, Glycoma. That was never, ever uh, brought up again. You're yeah, suddenly it's a plot point. He's going blind, and then suddenly, boom, we forget about it. It's never been. And all of a sudden, he also develops verbal diarrhea, where he always used the minimal amount of uh, wordage whenever he was talking. You Shit. know, things like that. Characterization uh, got thrown out, and they just decided to write the characters any way they wanted. Well, was there was there never? Uh, I'm presuming that the only the only serious Bible was in the, the our first author's head. And after that, they never maintained a series Bible or of any sort. Well, supposedly there was a series Bible. I personally never saw it, even though I had asked uh, one of the line editors at the time if I could get a copy of it. But no, I never saw it. So, okay. you know, uh, a few years back, uh, sometime this century, <laughs> um, I was in, uh, you know, I was in a, a grocery store up in Seattle here, and in the, um, you know, in the cheap paperback section of the quality food center grocery store, I actually ran across a, uh, a guidebook to the Deathlands. It was like a Deathlands encyclopedia. Um, I saw it once, and I thought, holy crap, really? There's a Deathlands encyclopedia? You know, th this is interesting. And I didn't pick it up. I come back, they're gone. They've obviously been taken to the, the pulp plant or something and torn up and disintegrated. Um, I'm just curious if you did you ever uh, run into this uh, uh, a, a Deathlands encyclopedia? It would have been published fairly early, um, maybe like 2000, 2001, something. Maybe maybe even 99. Um, wow, you know, no, I don't re remember that off the top of my head. Then again, you know, I I gave up reading the series way back then. You know, yeah. uh, around 2000 or so. But uh, no, uh, that definitely does not ring a chord with me at all. Okay, because I've again always regretted not grabbing it and sending a copy to Mr. Wallace because I know I, I knew at the time he was a huge Deathlands fan. And I, um, uh, Jerry, you picked yours up. Did you say at a, a, a shopping mall bookstore like a, a B Dalton's or something? Was that yeah, it was. Uh, I was in New York on vacation, uh, summer of '86, uh, and I was just looking through the book section, looking for a new post-apocalyptic novel to read. And I was like, "Deathlands? What's this Deathlands?" Hmm. Oh, this guy's got a scar and an eye patch. I think we might have something here. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, I always like. I mean, I like the series. Like, I mean, even though it got a little formulaic, but I always like oh, the different, yeah. The, yeah, the different adventures they would go on, and how, and I liked how they didn't go. This is why it ha there was there was mystery, a mystique of what are these Matrans units? What are what are the readouts? You know, and they would drop you little bits of information here oh, yeah. and there. You like, got the impression that there was some sort of plot or plan or something that had been in in you know pre Skydark, and as you went from one redoubt to another, and you encountered the freezies, you know, the people who were in cryosleep, you got bits and pieces of the of the plan or, or some evidence that there was some overarching idea. 
but it was nicely dripped out. You know, it, it really yeah. felt they yeah. weren't just going to just drop the plot on you. You know, by having Basil exposition show up and just blah, here's the plot. Yeah, little by little, it'd be like you know, it's like part of you know Cerebus. Okay, what's the Cerebus? Then it's like, oh, Project Overwhisper. Then the totality concept. So that you'd find all these different things, and you, and, and it was nice how it wasn't all just a big reveal. There was some mystery. There was always something to solve. And like I so said, really you know, did a good job of peeling that onion. You know, yeah. just taking it a layer at a time. And there was a lot of things I liked. Again, but I said when they started the rotating authors, it got like there was uh, things like you know. Um, the Ant Hill, which was in Stoneface, never followed up with that again. You know, it was like this, it was this readout that had bits of the old government there. They were like cyborgs, interesting stuff, you know. There was an army, I don't remember what book it was in, but there was this army of immortals. You know, basically, so it was some kind of military experience. They made these people, these soldiers immortal. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting because they're rolling around the countryside with tanks and military hardware. Boop, disappeared, never heard from them again, you know. <laughs> Now, the upside is everything that you've brought up here, Mark Ellis actually answered every single question you've mentioned in his Outlander series because it never was brought up in the Deathlands other than, yep, other than just uh, here and there, you know, little bits and pieces, tidbits. And, of course, as we've discussed already, when it went to the revolving doors, everything was thrown out. So Mark decided that he was going to remedy that situation. So everything that you've brought up, has been answered in detail, unfortunately, numerous times in the yeah. uh, Outlander series. Yeah, the Outlander series, which I, I fear came out, and I was intrigued by it when everyone had, uh, if we could see that here, when it first came out. But I only read maybe three, four, five, because I, I just I didn't enjoy it, because basically the Outlander series is still sitting in the same universe. It takes place 100 years after the Deathlands, so it's 200 years after the event, you know, the, the apocalypse. So, uh, Society is a little is more established. You know, they've basically started inhabiting uh, the readouts. The barons have taken over. But uh, I, I want to give too many spoilers. But basically, you're right. Chris is right. They gave you answers to everything. They just vomited out. Here's every answer you've always uh, that you've had questions about. Now, I didn't. It was such an easy, but it was such an easy delivery. Oh, the, the the answer was it was like really we're just going with we're just going with that cop out answer. You know, there was nothing. It's I won't. I'm not going to reveal because I don't want to give too many spoilers. But the answer is like, here's the easy answer. Really, that's all it is. That's bullshit. You know, it was. It, I, I. I. It totally disenfranchised me with the franchise. Well, some people uh, <laughs> look at it that way. For me, I'm far more of a science fiction fan, so it appealed to me. And also, Mark Ellis wanted to get away from the whole post-apocalyptic setting. So that's one of the reasons why he went that route. You know, maybe someday you can actually get him on. Uh, I can always talk to him and see if he'd be interested in uh, coming on to the podcast and discussing the series with you guys. That's a, that's, that's well, a definite possibility. open to anything that will increase our viewership. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, I mean I, but I understand, I under, totally understand Chris's point of view, how it became more, he wanted to make it more of a sci-fi thing, get away from the apocalypse, where I enjoy the apocalypse thing. And just give, to me... That's what kept me drawn into the series of, of the Deathlands. Is like they get, they parsed out the information little by little, peeled back the onion. Didn't just give you one answer to everything, which I kind of liked. As I, I like being able to read and, and and reveal and you know slowly reveal the information. But like I said, you know, he gave all. He said he gave all the answers to things like you know the Ant Hill, the Mortal Armies. It's like 
but it's kind of an after effect, after the fact kind of things. Like, well, we're kind of putting that behind. Here's all your answers. It's like, no, 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 no. I wanted like to see those things develop in the stories of the Deathlands. But again, it became revolving door, became formula, and it lost the original vision that uh, Lawrence James yeah, had. I let, think. Me, let me ask both of you guys a question because uh, I'm Michael, I, I I didn't hear from you. Where did you stumble across the Deathlands first? I mean, did you? Some across it back in eighty, the late eighties, when they were first popping out, or uh, later. Well, I found it uh, way back in the early eighties. I was reading everything that came out that was post-apocalyptic, and I won't deny it. Most of it was complete and utter shit. That's you know, I wouldn't even use it to wipe my ass. Like it was, but you know, it was the thing that I enjoyed. Like you know, uh, many years ago, I my first role playing game of all games was Gamma World, not Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you. That that's <laughs> me too. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I enjoyed the uh, genre so much. Yeah. So when I saw the post apocalyptic uh, genre come out in book form, I started picking them all up mainly because I wanted ideas for running games. Damn, uh, and then Damn Skippy. I ended up uh, finding the Pilgrimage to Hell novel in, I think it was Coles back in Regina when I was still in high school. And what really appealed to me is it was coming out every three months, too. And, of course, oh, what yeah. we've talked about. Oh, yeah. You know, the continuity, characterization. He wasn't afraid to kill off characters or even introduce new characters until they settled down for the main crew, if you want, uh, if that's the word you're looking for. Yeah, and uh, you know, even to this day, if they would have managed to keep the continuity, even with all the revolving door authors, I probably would still be reading it because yeah. I know there's a lot of uh, good story. Well, I guess it all depends on who you're talking. Yeah. Good stories, crap stories, so on and so forth. But several of the revolving door authors actually did stand out and wrote quite a few really well received novels for the series and then there were others that were just frowned upon. So like, what are the things what are the things from the from the, the Deathlands that really stood out for you as what I mean, yeah, okay. You're looking for ideas, you're looking for inspiration to do your own stuff for, you know, Gamma Roller and, and frankly, that was a school I came from as well. Um, what kind of things what were the things that jumped out at you this from the stories that were like, oh yeah, we got to have that in our game. This is what people want from their post-apocalyptic experience. What were the things in Deathlands for, for you that worked like that? I like the muties, for the most part. You know, they started getting really stupid after a while, like uh, the water beetle people and other crap like that that showed up just before oh, I stopped stickies, reading it. The stickies, but stickies, right stickies, the were, stickies and fleshies, were, I think, were the standards uh, at the beginning, yeah. at least. Yeah, I, I can't even remember. Uh, yeah, the one that sticks out, of course, the most is the stickies. But, you know, it seemed every book that Lawrence James always tried to have at least one or two new freaky critters in the uh, series. And it wasn't all about just, you know, the biggest blaster, too. He experimented. You know, he tried using things like laser weapons. I remember from uh, Neutron Solstice, if that yep. was the correct one. Uh, also, you know, he tried to play around with high technology. And like we've discussed before, the one thing I really enjoyed about it was the unknown, the exploration, seeing what happened to, you know, landmarks, places that you know in real life, oh, yeah. and oh, what yeah. he did to, to land destroy them. You want them to get out of the redoubt and be able to look out and go, oh, well, there's the space needle bent in half, or, you know, whatever, uh, or, or find out what, you know, what oh, abysmal cult has grown up in your 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 hometown's backyard. Oh, uh, even... Yeah. 
even even the re- even the readouts were good because I like sometimes I went there to like oh my god there's working water we can take a shower you know it's like and that was like such a big deal and it's like it's like you felt like yeah they found something thank you you know because yeah. they had nothing because they were basically traveling around with what was on their backs you know so. they were they were basically uh, well they were basically player characters let's be honest they're like yeah. they're just role playing game they were just murder hobos who would go from yeah. place to place and essentially shoot everybody they met well speaking of correlating to role playing games something that came to mind which I thought of when I was reading the series was because of the matrans units now they hinted a couple of times that they went into space whether it's a space well, they did go to space station. It was which is obvious, but like the moon, maybe Mars, and what it made me think about was in Polyhedron magazine, which was put out by uh, uh, was it not Gamma didn't put that out. That was uh, who put out Polyhedron. Wasn't that an offshoot from uh, uh, TSR way back in the day? I thought it was. I thought it was. I think it was one that was published only through mail order. You, you couldn't just go to the store and buy it the way you could Dragon way back when. Yeah, it was uh, Polyhedron came out, and they used to have uh, Gamworld stuff in there. A lot of it was put out by, written by James Ward. Uh, so any of that's considered canon in my book. But there was one issue where they talked about Mars, and they talked about these matter transmitter units that were that was based in South America, and only once every six month window could they transport to Mars. So. I immediately like when I started reading the Deathlands. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like in that Gamma World thing. And so I kind of cor- you know, correlated to the role playing because it touched base with me because it's like, oh wow, you know, this is something I've read about in the gaming, and now it's in this book. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, those are things I enjoyed. Those are things I enjoyed about the series because it would definitely remind me of gaming and pull out. Because when I used to play the Gamma World, I you know we never played the over the top, but you know, but not as low tech as as Deathlands. They were but giant rabbits with guns, but you didn't play over the top. I if, well, no, no, no. We I didn't. We didn't use those, you know. But <laughs> but I always thought Deathlands was a good Gamma World setting for something that's not over the top, but has technology, has mutants, you know, things, you know, things like that, you know, because yeah. uh, there are mutants, and they're not like in the uh, End World series where the uh, mutants were genetically engineered. Anyway, we can talk about End World at another time. Well, and, but... and we should point out that the, the the radiation in the Deathlands is the same kind of radiation you get in Gamma World, in that you know, once you're radiated, you get special superpowers. It's not that your teeth fall out of your gums and your liver, you shit your liver. You know, you. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, it's it's the Peter Parker Spider-Man radiation, you know. So uh, uh, it, it was in, in that sense. It's also very pulpy, and that you know, it's kind of the 1950s atomic giant ants sort of radiation. Uh, speaking of games, I kind of want to uh, push something that I've got coming out in the very near future, probably in the next month or two. I've actually gone and written one full issue. Maybe it'll be spread out for two issues of Wisdom from the Wasteland that deal with different types of radiation. Because it's never been done in any of the games before. Like Gamma World, even Mutant Future, you got, okay, class 1 to 10 or whatever type of radiation, and it'll, do the, it'll harm you, it can mutate you, and that's it. So I've used lots of different sources for inspiration, and I came up with something at least, I believe it was around 26 different types of radiation, which will have all kinds of really bizarre effects. By, so by, look by, for by, that in the Wisdom of the Wasteland uh, coming out in the next uh, month or so. Yeah, because uh, so the fans of Wisdom of the Wastelands is put out by, uh, Skirmisher puts it out, right? Skirmisher Publishing yes. puts that out. Yeah. 
uh, for the Mutant Future role-playing game, and Chris uh, writes to them frequently. And again, that's where we get all the post-apocalyptic connection here. So because again, we're all fans of the genre, and it all it all crosses over, you know. So yeah, Chris is role. Uh, sorry, Jared. The best part about it is uh, that it isn't just for Mutant Future. It's old school rules, so it can be easily adapted to Gamma World or any other of the old school uh, type games that you want. Perfect. Mr. Mr. Wallace, I also put that question to you. What were the things about uh, you know the Deathlands, the elements? Were there you know were there elements in it that when you cracked open that first book, you're like you know was it the war wags that that turned up from the traders caravan? It was like oh yeah, I want to hear more about this. I mean, what was the things that jumped out at you that you? Oh, really... it was it was the war wags. It was the, the the whole setting. You know, it was like they're traders. They're you know the war wags. They found the readout. You know, uh, you know, it's like, oh, look, there's a secret bunker, and you know, it's cool. It's you know, it's it's a tomb of the ancients. You know, and what, what you know, what kind of what kind of what kind of tech is in there? You know, that all draw me because again, it, it, it read to me being very Gamma World. You know, in, yeah. in a sense, again, a little a little more low tech, but the same basic element. You know, it's like there's the past, there's the ancients. You know, we're we're basically just harvesting what's left to live and survive on. You know, so again, it was very, it was very great to be very game world. But like I said, the book series, like Chris has said, some books were great, some were crap. You know, some were some were some ridiculous elements that people brought in stories. Like there was a lot of series. There was a several books that later on, probably after Chris stopped reading, that were like a lot of pandemic, like uh, open to other dimension stuff. Oh and, yeah, I can I can remember remember oh, reading yeah, were, about that and thought, wow, you guys are out of ideas. Yeah, so... You know what? Those were, if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like the ones that Alan Philipson, if that's the correct name, wrote. He did, I think, something like 16 books for this series, and pretty much most of the stuff he wrote was very well-received. Again, you know, maybe guys like you didn't really care for the science fiction aspect of it, but yeah. uh, for the most part, they were very well-received. I, I think the... I, about post-apocalyptic characters, where you take the post-apocalyptic characters out of the post-apocalypse, put them in a completely different setting... Even temporarily for one story, it, it that was like, well, where's my apocalypse, dude? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Al, Alan Phillips in Shadow World was the first one. That was the first yes. one where Shadow, where Ryan goes to another dimension. It, it was an okay distraction every once in a while. Don't get me wrong. It was kind of like at first time I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But then when it became the common theme, like, yes, they're coming over and mining our planet, and they're doing all this. It, it got to me personally. It got to be a bit much after a while. It's like, okay, yeah, let's. Let's the guys I never got enough about were the were the dirty reds, you know. My well, two of my favorite stories were uh, what Red Holocaust and Red Equinox. Uh, I believe that's what they were called. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, where the first one is uh, some Soviet uh, marauders are being chased out of Siberia across the Bering Straits by the by the commie authorities, and they go into Alaska because they've heard these stories that America's a land of plenty and they get over to Alaska and it's just filled with mutants and psychos and you know uh, uh, it's just as horrible as, as Siberia is and uh, you know so there's this sort of red invasion I guess you'd call it where you've got both these uh, Russian uh, uh, bandit marauders and uh, hot on their heels are you know again these some of the, the, the Soviet authorities uh, and this implication that there was something going on in the East more organized and more sinister and had its act together more than over in the States and could be a threat to it. I really like that, you know, where they hinted at that and they 
certainly went all out in Red Equinox, which will actually end up in Moscow. And um, uh, you get a look at the party and uh, the whole, you know, the, the, the rather organized uh, post-apocalyptic Russia, at least organized compared to, you know, what you see in the American Deathlands. And I kept thinking, oh, great, you know, it, We've had World War Three. Now it's time for World War Four, where we get you know get to bash some reds. They did two stories and never came back to it, as far as I remember. Um, okay. It was disappointing, but you know. All right. Uh, uh, let's uh, going to start wrapping up here. We're a little bit over. Like I said again, we're we're not over. I said we're going to be around forty-five minutes. But before we go, like I said, let's just touch briefly, brief, 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 brief oh. on this piece of garbage. Uh, this was uh, Deathlands Homeward Bound, which was a sci-fi channel movie based on the Deathlands series, and Homeward Bound, which I think was the fifth book in the series, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, you know, it's easy enough to check online, but uh, I think it was the fourth, but anyways, whatever. Um, nope, I, I just looked, I just, I just looked, it's, it's, it's the fifth, haha. Okay, hey, you're right, and I was wrong. I won't have any problems admitting that. Uh, geek, geek cred, geek cred. But uh. <laughs> I gotta tell you, there's very few times, and I watched it. It's a bit, it was, I can see it on. It's broken up into bite-sized chunks on on YouTube. So I I quickly went and took a look at it uh, last week, and it's not often that I use the phrase unwatchable. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty heinous. But uh, oh, oh my god. <laughs> Let's put it yeah. this way. I'd rather watch uh, some god-awful Hindi or, well, my wife's culture, Filipino, you know, computer oh, special the, effects movie than ever see that atrocity again. And and let's be honest, the Filipinos made a ton of post-apocalyptic movies. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> know what? If they did, I've never seen a one. Oh, there's there are a number of really terrible uh, uh, post-apocalyptic films uh, made in the Philippines, most interestingly, using the old U.S. fortifications in and around Manila Bay as you know ruins, redoubts, you know bunker complexes, things like that. Um, Which we'll save for another show. But um, just because again, I want to get us get us wrapped up here. Uh, like I said, the movie. So if you get if anybody has a chance to check it on YouTube, you know, feel free. Uh, like I said, problems. One of the main, the biggest problem I have in it, well, one of the, one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is uh, it's missing one of the most one of the major characters. Doc Tanner is not in that book in that yeah. movie, and uh, and of course another problem with it is it's got Tracy Lords in it. You know, I guess that's I guess that's when she decides I'm not I'm not a porn star. I'm an actress. Let, let's let's be honest. Tracy Lords is one of the film's smallest problems. Yeah, it's yeah. got it's got giant. You know, that's like saying, "Ah, oh, you got a little dirt on your face here," uh, and ignoring the sucking chest wound. <laughs> it is. I don't know. Two words script. from me about that: muty rage. When I saw that, it was just, "Oh my god!" <laughs> that's it. Oh, no I more. About, I forgot about that. Muty rage. <laughs> yeah, Muty yeah. rage. It was all oh, God. You're oh, kidding me. I forgot. I forgot about Muty rage. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of Muty rage. I'm, I'm going to be using that term from now on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, we're going to start wrapping uh, up here. Uh, I know Chris um, wanted to mention uh, a book that he has coming out, so I want to let him get a chance to talk about that for a moment. Actually, it's not coming out. <clears throat> oh, it already out. came out in 2004. Uh, I co-wrote 
Mask of the Sphinx, the 30th novel in the Outlander series with uh, Mark Ellis. He, I wrote it, he vetted it for me, and then uh, we published it under his contract, and it was pretty much the best-received non-Ellis book of the whole uh, series. You know, the ones that Mel Odom wrote, uh, they weren't exactly stellar or well-received, and I haven't really been keeping up with the... Actually, I haven't been keeping up at all. Not... I just couldn't stomach reading any of the stuff that was put out by the ghostwriters that took over after Mark gave up several years ago. Or actually, I shouldn't say gave up when he was technically forced out, but you know what? He can always bring or tell the story if he ever comes on what happened. Yeah. I tried reading two of them, and I was actually quite amazed to see that uh, the ghostwriter, I, I think his name is Rick Hoskins, used one character I created in Mask of the Sphinx, uh, Deckard. Deckard uh, turned out to be a young magistrate that ended up uh, being taken under Kane's wing, essentially. And he actually did show up in a couple of uh, other uh, novels that Mark wrote. But it shocked the hell out of me when I saw this Rick Hoskins guy use my character. I kind of had wanted Mark to actually kill him off, so none of the other uh, authors could do so, but eh, never happened, so whatever. Um, uh, I have to ask this question uh, Mask of the Sphinx does this mean you had a Middle Eastern set sort of post-apocalyptic uh, I think technically Outlanders is after the apocalypse so you know was it a Middle Eastern setting or did the Sphinx come to America no actually it was a sequel to and for the life of me I can't remember which novel uh, one of the ones that Mark wrote for Deathlands which dealt with a city called Atten that was set in, if not mistaken, uh, the desert in Nevada or California. Oh, yes, yes. You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, 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 yes. So I like uh, that was one of my favorite Deathlands books, so I decided I was going to write a sequel to it set in the Outlanders uh, universe. And, well, it, like I said, was one of the best-received non-Mark Ellis books out there. Very good. So, guys, again, uh, any of the anybody listening, like I said, it departs from the post-apocalypse. It becomes more of sci-fi, which is there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you like the more of the sci-fi aspect, you know, it, I mean, it might be worth checking out. But again, me being uh, who I am and what I like, uh, like, I said I didn't care for it. But you know, but again, it's it's good it's good sci-fi. You know, a lot of the times. So it's uh, depends on what you, what you're looking for is um, what I'm saying here. But again, two series of books. Go ahead. If you're looking for more mad barons and cults and mutants, you're going to have to stick to Deadlands because, yes, it's got that in abundance. So there you go. That's where that's a show. We got the Deathlands followed by the Outlanders, set in the same universe, post-apocalyptic, way after the apocalypse, a bit more sci-fi, and like we said, the horrible sci-fi but, channel movie. So oh yeah. you'll bleed, um, you will weep tears of blood if you watch that film. So. All right, so we're going to call it a show now, and just uh, let you guys know, uh, everybody know, for our next show, and we're going to have some other guests on, we're going to be talking about commerce in the apocalypse. What does it take to buy things and sell things in the apocalypse? You know, what is currency? Uh, and, and, and throwing out a list of some of our favorite and most ridiculous currencies. Uh, let's, let's, save it for the, let's save it for the show. Let's save it for the show. Let's save it for the show. I can keep it in my pants until then. But, you know, we always we always remember, Domars are stupid, and we'll get into why they're stupid uh, on that next show. Amen, so we'll talk, <laughs> so we're going to talk about, the, you know, uh, the, the co uh, commerce and the apocalypse, you know, because uh, there's 
books, movies, video games, all kinds of different uh, different currencies that have been out there. Some are good, some are really good, some are really stupid. You know, they will also talk about possible real world. You know, it's like if the apocalypse really happened, what would really be used for currency? So we're going to kind of delve into that uh, before we go. So always remember this. Uh, well, we're going to have some last words first, and I'll give you one more uh, PSA. Scott, any final words? No final words. Not on the. Oh, all right. My final word is. Uh, also, uh, Crater Lake. I'm going to throw that out as one of the one of the Deathlands novels I enjoyed the most. Was Crater Lake. Uh, you can't beat a volcano base filled with inbred mutant scientists plotting to finish off the apocalypse that didn't completely destroy the world. That's that's a good start. Crater Lake, number issue, uh, book number four. What was that, Chris? I said, wasn't that the French? of entropy uh, in uh, Gamma World, or am I thinking of another? <laughs> they had a they had a, a vague uh, uh, oh. yeah, resemblance to the Friends of Entropy. All right, thank you, uh, Scott. Chris, any last words? Well, just uh, it was nice being on, being able to talk about a pastime I used to love. Unfortunately, like I said, just because continuity went down the tubes, that's why I stopped reading when it comes right down to it. Um, if you want a good post-apocalyptic movie, unfortunately it's not nuclear, it's zombie, I would strongly recommend, believe it or not, Warm uh, Bodies, that one that's kind of a zombie romance. Wow. My wife and I watched it, really enjoyed it. And, you're, giving, uh, you're giving it the thumbs up. I'm actually, yes, I'm definitely giving it the thumbs up. <laughs> then again, you know, everybody's taste is different, so that's my last word. Check it out, you might enjoy it. There you go. Thank you, Chris. Again, th thanks for coming on. We do pre uh, we appreciate all your insight because, uh, again, you were very involved with the series. Uh, and everybody, again, you can find, you know, DeathlandsJamesAxler.com, I believe is a website now. So you can find all the, you can see the listings of all the books, what's out there. There's, uh, Chris mentioned, there's a, there, I, think there's, there's, I believe there's links on the sites which takes you to the audio books. Yep. Uh, for them, which are not just one guy, actually one guy reading. It's actually, they have a cast of people uh, reading the different characters so it's almost like listening to like a radio play of the books. So it's worth it. I've heard they're pretty good. It's a little expensive. For, yeah, it's a little expensive to get, so I haven't delved into that one yet. But uh, so that's pretty good. My last words. Uh, I, I, I don't really got much. Again, I said it's a good series to read. Uh, I do want to just remind people that if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with your friends. You know, if you're going to watch it later. Like I said, I'm going to start getting it uh, to where it's going to be. I'm going to try to get an iTunes, try to get just the audio version of it too, so you can, people can listen to it later. If you're going to watch it on YouTube, please make sure to like it on YouTube because you know liking things does help drive up whatever metrics uh, they do have going there. So please make sure to like it, make sure to share it, tell other people, spread the word, like the Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that good social media stuff. You know, just be. Good socially responsible social media, social media people like things and tell people about it. So Consider it done. Thank you, thank you. So uh, again, uh, thank you for uh, everybody for being here. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we ran almost an hour, uh, but that's okay. It's gonna. I told. I like I said at the beginning. It's gonna happen sometimes when we do it every other week. So uh, again, friends of the apocalypse, thank you for joining us. And uh, we're, uh, we're out of here. Again, uh, keep safe, keep your bunkers full, and uh, we will see you next time talking about commerce in the apocalypse in two weeks from now. Thank you, Good everybody. Eating. Good night. Good eating. <laughs>